1 Corinthians 13 is what you want in your Bible, so open up your Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is we spend the next three weeks on true love from the famous love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians 13, we're starting in verse 1. Paul writes, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, Father? At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I will show you the more excellent way. And I believe that each of us could say this morning in prayer, show me the way. Show me the most excellent way. Show me the way of love, Lord, because there is so much confusion in our world about love. I think so many I think just about every person longs to know what true love is about. How is it defined? What does it look like? And so many of us, sadly, have not experienced that love that we should have. And for some, maybe they would come in here this morning and say, my love has grown cold. In a vital relationship, even my love for the Lord has waned. We know that as you address the churches in Revelation, you said, return to your first love. And Lord, it seems like every moment of the day that is our need is return our hearts back to you. So may you, as Samuel told to the people of Israel, may you direct our hearts back to you, back to what true love is about. You said that the world would know we belong to you by our love one for another. And as the Apostle Paul has been addressing the body in Corinth, He's been saying that your division sends the wrong message. You are one people. You are diverse, but you're one. And love is the circulatory system of the body. Love is the mortar of the bricks of the building. Love is what holds it all together. 
Lord, forgive us for the times that we have failed to love. Renew our love in this room. And may you be glorified as we not just study your word, but apply your word for your glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. The next three weeks we will spend on 1 Corinthians 13. We'll move slowly through it, taking chunks of the text. It deserves our careful attention, and I do believe that it's the most important study that we can ever undertake. I do know that as I read 1 Corinthians 13, probably many of you are very familiar with the text. Familiarity with the text doesn't mean you're actually living it, though. And I do know that many of us have heard it read at weddings, and maybe we didn't realize where it was placed in our Bibles, but it's actually between two chapters on spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian church was very zealous for spiritual gifts. They had elevated the gift of tongues to this place where they were looking down on other people who didn't have the gift. But what they really lacked was love. And love is the study of the highest importance because God is love. Uh, One of the greatest commands in the Bible, the greatest command, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. The second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to notice, if if you're taking notes, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus answered the question about the greatest commands in all the Bible. And he said it's to love God and to love other people. I want you to hear what I just said. It's the greatest command in the Bible. The word agape or agape in the Greek language is a word that with all the definitions that you could look up in Greek lexicons, you could define agape or agape love in this way. Agape is the love of the will. In other words, agape love means that you have decided to love. Now, you've heard probably scholars say that agape love is God's love. Well, agape also is used in other settings for the love of the world or the love of darkness rather than light. So, strictly speaking, agape or agape is not just about God's love, although we could say it is. Agape, if you're taking notes, is the love of the will. It means that you and I can make a decision to love. Now, the good news is as a believer, I also have the resources of heaven to help me love the way I'm supposed to love. And one of my prayers uh, that I've said to you guys from up here is that, Lord, love my wife through me. Teach me how to love. And love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the first of the fruits listed in Galatians 5.22. So we know we don't have to do this by ourselves. We have the love of God in us poured out through the Holy Spirit. But we all know that there are times that we walk in the flesh. There are times that we get selfish. There are times that we give in to the ways of the world. We don't love the way we're supposed to to love. In fact, I'll tell you that I believe that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, when you really think about it, Jesus is dying on the cross because we have broken the top two commandments. Think with me. We have failed to love God the way that we were supposed to, and to love others the way that we're supposed to, which is the essence of the law and the prophets. And Jesus came because of our sin of failing to love. And failing to love is a sin. It is probably the sin that has divided the world and the church 
marriages, relationships. It's where the enemy gets in, where he causes us to lose love or to grow cold. Many people are asking, what is love? We all long for love. Many definitions and opinions. But in the ancient Hebrew picture language, the word love in Hebrew is ahav. If you're interested, it's A-H-A-V, ahav. Jesenius, a Hebrew scholar, tells us that this word for love in Hebrew means to desire, to breathe after. Jewish teaching says that the sound of the deer panting after the water and of King David desiring God is heard in the sound ahav, or the Hebrew word for love. Dr. Seekin says, try saying it as if you were panting and you get the essence of Psalm 42. Ahav, ahav, ahav. It's the word for love. It's a longing in the soul to be known and to know, to love and to be loved. The Shirelles in 1960 became the first all-group, all-girl group to reach the number one, uh, number one on the Billboard charts with their song, Will you still love me tomorrow? We may have heard of it, says one scholar. The song ends with these lines. I'd like to know that your love is love I can be sure of, so tell me now, and I won't ask again, will you still love me tomorrow? And even though the singer has just promised that she won't ask again, says Stephen Um, the song fades out as she asks again three more times. Will you still love me tomorrow? And she asks again and again and again. 1 Corinthians 13 is beautiful and it resonates with just about everybody. The idea that love never ends or love will never fail. But the truth is that we've seen love fail many times. We live in a divorce culture. We've seen broken relationships. We've seen people make commitments and vows and walk away from them. How can we know that love will last? There is something that can endure anything. It is true biblical love, but what is that? What is true biblical love? What does it look like? What does it look like? Some years ago, the rock band Foreigner, uh, Mick Jones, who is the lead guitarist, I believe, of the band, said he woke up at 3 in the morning and he got a song, and he was contemplating in his bed at night, and he got the song, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And so he said the song came to him quickly, and he felt like the song came from something outside of him. I don't know about Mick Jones' salvation. I don't know that he's a Christian. But he felt like the song came from outside of him. Some, something above him is the way he described it. He shared the song with the band and as it turned out, Lou Graham, the lead singer of Foreigner, ended up singing the song. And it was a ballad that uh, there was a choir that joined Foreigner on the, the famous song. And it became the number one hit smash, I think, all over the world. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. CBN did an interview with Lou Graham. And Lou Graham said that Foreigner was a typical rock band. They were partying hard. They were sniffing cocaine, smoking marijuana, uh, doing everything wrong, and he said one night they played Madison Square Garden to a huge audience. They're a very famous band, and he said Mick, uh, I'm sorry, Lou Graham said that he just came to this realization of his emptiness, and he said he was sick of the lifestyle. The next morning he checked himself into a rehab. There was a chaplain there, 
And the chaplain led Lou Graham, the lead singer of Foreigner, in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Some of you may remember that a harvest, at a harvest crusade not that many years ago, Lou Graham was there, the lead singer of Foreigner, and he changed the lyrics of the song to, Now I Know What Love Is. And he's met the king of love, the one who said that uh, people would know that we belong to him by our love, one for another. And in 1 John 3.16, you've all heard of John 3.16. In 1 John 3.16, in the NIV, the Apostle John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. 1 John 3.16. You don't have to wonder as a Christian what love is about. And the greatest of these is love, and we know that God is love. But there's confusion and brokenness both outside and inside the church. And we need to be reminded of what love is. Let me just read a few things from my notes. Love does not exploit, it does not hurt or destroy. The word for love, agape, simply put, is the love of the will. We can decide to love in obedience to God's word. And we can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Conversely, when we don't love, we have simply decided not to love or not to love anymore. We have decided not to obey or yield to the Spirit. This is not an easy truth, but it is one that we all need to hear. When we don't love, it's because we've decided no longer to love. Now, I do know that many of us have hurts in our hearts, and we've responded sometimes to a lack of love with our own uh, hardness, right? We could feel jilted, or uh, we could feel betrayed or abandoned. And sometimes we close up our heart to love because we haven't been loved well, and I certainly understand that. I certainly understand the hurts and the pains that could be represented in a room like this. But when we don't love, even with all of the reasons why we don't, the truth is that we've made a decision not to. There are many reasons that this can happen. We can feel weak, feel unloved ourselves, feel like the other person is not filling our love tank, not speaking our love language, etc. But we have to express love nonetheless because we are commanded to. And we need this love chapter and other verses I'm going to take you to to remind us how important this is. I'm going to ask you to hold your place in 1 Corinthians 13 and turn to Matthew chapter 5. A couple of places where Jesus is talking about love. Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 44 through 46 and then we'll turn to Luke's gospel. But let's start in Matthew 5. Let's pick up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 44. Matthew 5, 44. Jesus speaking says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, 45. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, your Father, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. Matthew 5, 45. End of the verse. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? I want you to think of 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul says, What profit is it to me? What, it profits me nothing if I don't have love. Well, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, and that's easy to do, right? 
He says, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? Just write in your Bible the IRS there. I'm just kidding, but... But, but we all know the tax gatherers had a bad reputation in that day of ripping people off and, and, and doing everything for sordid gain and self. And Jesus says even the tax gatherers who rip people off day and night and skim off the top and do it for their own uh, gain, stepping on people's heads and so forth, they love people who love them. Turn over to Luke. It's a little bit more to your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke. This is Luke chapter 6. This makes me cry, Lord, teach me how to love like you love. Because the Bible says that while we were yet enemies, the Lord loved us. So we cannot just sit here in the stands and believe this doesn't apply to us. This is Luke 6. We're picking, up, picking it up in verse 31. Jesus says, And just as you want people to treat you, then treat them in the same way. Luke 6, 32 and if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, this would be here pagans or unbelievers, love those who love them. Luke 6.33. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Notice the repetition of Jesus saying, what credit? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, 35, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I might add, be loving, just as your Father in heaven is is loving. This is the way of agape, back to 1 Corinthians 13. Now let me say to you that love does not love just to get something back. It's not a love, back to 1 Corinthians 13, that says, scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. The love of 1 Corinthians 13 is not the love to win popularity. It is not love that is cruel, and it is also not love that's politically correct. You're going to see later in a message that's ahead of us that love does not rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in the truth. Love is informed by truth. That's why I've called the message true love. Because love is not just telling people you're okay and I'm okay. Love sometimes has to shake the bush, bushes and rock the boat, as it were, to get someone's attention. It's to warn somebody that you're playing on the railroad tracks and you're going to get hurt. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. So definitions of love in, in the world are amiss. Love is a decision of the will. But love does not just love to sweep under the carpet or never to say anything that's hard to individuals. Just think about Jesus, incarnate love. Did he say some hard things to people? Yes. Did he rock the boat? Yes. But whenever he did something like that, it's because he was confronting evil or trying to get people's attention with truth that would then set them free. It should be noted that strictly speaking, agape, the word for love in these passages, can, uh, cannot be just defined as God's love. For your notes, because men are said to agape sin and to love the world. You can write down John 3.19 and 1 John 
2.15. But it can be de described, agape can, as sacrificial love. In John's Gospel, we are told that the father's, father loves the son. One passage uses agapeo, and the other passage of the father's love for Jesus uses phileo, where we get the idea of brotherly love, or Philadelphia, respectively. We're told by Paul in 2 Peter I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4.10, that Demas has forsaken Paul because he loved agapeo, the present world. And so we have to be careful that we don't make blanket statements about agape is always about God's love. It can be about loving something other than God. It can be about loving your sin or loving the world. I ask you, is your love for God the highest love in your life? You know, that can be measured by really how you live. We can talk all day long, but the true measure of our love is not simply our talk, it's our action. And if you want to get to the heart of the problem in the Corinthian congregation, and perhaps for us to take an honest assess assessment in the Corona congregations as well, the Corinthian problem was a lack of love. Love, says one writer, does not behave the way that they do. Love is not about self-centered spirituality. That is not the heart of Christ. It is only when spiritual gifts are exercised with love that we become useful in building up the body. As I prayed, love is the mortar between the bricks of the Christian building. Paul uses a body metaphor to demonstrate that the many diverse parts of Christ's body make up the one whole. The individual members are designed by God to complement and care for one another. We are different by design, just like husbands and wives are, but we are intended to operate at peak performance as we care for one another. When the Lord, the head of the church, prayed for the church, he prayed that we would be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. I ask you, how do you think we're doing? When the world looks at us, when Jesus says, they will know that you belong to me by your love, one for another, how do you think our witness is? There's a lot of beautiful love in this room. There's a lot of expressions of love that I see. There's a lot of sacrifice and serving that goes on among you, and that's beautiful. But I still think that we have to assess our love regularly and try to grow more and more. If you go back for a second in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just to set a little context, Paul says, as he uses the body as an illustration, 12.21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I can't just throw you away. I can't say, uh, just because I'm an eye to the hand, well, I don't care about you. Get out of here. I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, we need one another. Verse 25, there should be no division in the body. But the members should have the same care or the same love one for another. See the word care there? It's the word for worry. I know that my mother loves me because she worries about me. <laughs> Michael, be careful. Every time we're, we hang up after a phone call, be careful in your daily activities. And I'm like, okay, mama, I'll be careful. And sometimes, you know, over the years she said to me, you're not talking on that cell phone when you're driving, are you, Mike? Do you watch the road when you drive? And I say, no, Mom. I look out the window to the left the whole time. <laughs> Just to drive her a little bit crazy. Anyway, 
You are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is Galatians 5, 13 through 16. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care, lest you be consumed by one another. I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And since we are one body, it seems strange that one part of the body would wound another part of the body. Why would we ever do that? Some years ago, we were driving back from Mexico. We had been on a trip to Mexico, and I was in an elevated vehicle, and I looked, and there was a guy driving a truck, and he was literally slapping himself in the face. I'm like, what is this guy doing to himself? Why is he beating himself up? Well, I came to the conclusion that he was trying to stay awake. He had probably been driving for a long time, and he's beating the tar out of himself in the car. But his goal was to stay awake. But how silly it is, using the body metaphor, if one part of the body would be going, why are you hitting yourself in the face, somebody might ask. Because it feels good when I stop. Say what? In Ephesians 5, husbands are encouraged to love their wives as Christ loves the church. In Ephesians 5, 28 through 30, Paul goes on to say, Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh or body, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. If you hurt your spouse, you hurt yourself. You take the gun and shoot yourself in the foot. And we do it every day. We end up wounding ourselves when we wound those who are closest to us. But sometimes it feels good, right? To let the zinger go. Oh yeah, let me tell you something. Right? Feels good for a moment until that you got to deal with for the next couple of weeks. And there's a nice, tidy place for you in the doghouse. <laughs> You're the only one that understands me. <laughs> if you want to know what love looks like, look at a dog. And I'm serious. Dogs are a model of love, are they not? It's incredible. They are, they are a walking example of love. Well, Paul says the spiritual manifestations in the body of Christ, spiritual gifts, are to grow us up. We are to be built up in love. The environment in which things grow is loving care. Think about a baby. Think about someone who takes care of plants or animals. The parts of the body, says one writer, work together for the common good of the body. The hands do not only feed themselves, but the whole body. If I take something like some chips, I'm feeding my body. The part of the body is feeding it. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, but it serves the whole body. Sometimes there's a part of our body that only lives to serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body, and everything it gets is used to feed and grow itself. We call that cancer. 
And sadly, that's what happens in relationships sometimes as we get involved in being so self-centered that we bring a cancer to that which we're supposed to take care of and love. If one member suffers, 26 of chapter 12, all the members suffer with it, speaking of the body. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice or take part in another's joy to congratulate that part. They rejoice with it. Now you, brethren, you are Christ's body. Individually, you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church, in the body of Christ, first, apostles, 1228, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, these are some of the gifts we saw in verses 8 through 11, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Paul says in 29, chapter 12, all are not apostles, are they? The answer to each of these rhetorical questions is no, because we already know that in chapter 12, verse 11, Paul said that the Holy Spirit has designed the body with diversity. The hand is different from the eye. The foot is different from the arm, etc., etc. And he continues the thought with roles in the church and gifts in the church. He says, all are not apostles. The obvious answer is no. All are not prophets, are they? Answer, no. There's diversity in the body. All are not teachers, are they? The answer is no. All are not workers of miracles, are they? Answer, no. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? The answer is no. All do not speak with tongues, do they? This is the gift that they've elevated as the most important. All do not interpret, do they? Answer is no, no, no. The main purpose of this list and this context is to lead up to the concluding rhetorical questions whose form in Greek, says D.A. Carson, indicates that Paul expects, expects a firm negative after each one. All are not apostles. All are not teachers. All do not work miracles because the main thrust of the argument is a diversity in expression of the body. Not all have the same role. We're not cookie-cutter Christians. The apostles laid the foundation of the church. Apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20. Paul went into Corinth and founded the church. They didn't need two Pauls. They needed the body to express its diversity in calling and gifts and offices. That's what Paul is saying. So not everybody is going to have the same gift. And there's a reason for that. Because we need the diversity to complete the picture of the body. Amen? That's what Paul is saying. So you may have somebody say to you, well, I believe that every person can have this gift, whatever gift you're talking about, this particular uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I say to you, if you look at these verses I just read, that's false. Not everybody has these gifts because the body is by nature designed to be diverse and complementary. Though we, are not, uh, though we are not an eye or a foot, we're not cookie-cutter Christians, yet we need each other. I'm reading from my notes. Paul was an apostle chosen, called, and commissioned by Christ, Acts chapter 9. He planted the church. You could say he was first in planting of the church and spoke with apostolic authority. But uh, he appeals to this authority in the letters to the Corinthians. Even though they're questioning the authority, he continues to appeal to it not for tearing them down, but for building them up. If you're taking notes, you can look at 2 Corinthians 10.8, 13.10, and 1 Corinthians 8.1. Paul was an apostle. 
Prophets were part of the foundation of the overall church, Ephesians 2.20, and some in the first century had operated in that role. Apostles refer to the witnesses of the resurrection who were specially called out by God and appear to be a closed circle. This is from Garland, a commentator. Anyone can potentially become a prophet, but some functioned regularly in this way, in the assembly, and became known as prophets. Christian prophets appear in the book of Acts, predicting the future, Acts 11, 28, and 21, 10. Also serving as teachers and encouragers, 13, 1 of Acts, 15, 32, and 21, 9. So I want to be careful with this gift of prophecy because I know that many of you have questions and it's been confusing and perhaps abused. The canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible, is closed. There is going to be no more Scripture given. We have everything we need in our Bible. But sometimes someone can be prophetic. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? I mean this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can give you a word in a moment that can edify somebody that can comfort them in a situation. And I have found, and I'll talk more about this when we get to chapter 14, that when the Lord uses me to be prophetic in that sense, it's a word that brings comfort or uh, exhortation or consolation to an individual, usually through quoting a Bible verse that the Lord shows me to give to somebody else. Amen? So in that sense, we can all be prophetic, if you will. And I'll talk more about how that's going to work. None of us are going to be writing uh, inspired scripture. That canon is closed. The Bible is done. It's been written. It's over. But sometimes I'm up here and I get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And it's not nothing I prepared. And someone may come up to me and say, Pastor Michael, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm going through that very thing. How did you know? And I usually respond by saying, I follow you all week long. That's how I know. I've bugged your phone. I've got one of those trackers on your vehicle. No. So the Holy Spirit can move in that way, but we want to be careful about how we understand these things. Teachers in this list that we just read appear in Romans 12, 7 and Ephesians 4, 11 for the building up and equipping of the body of Christ. Paul mentions other gifts that we've already studied here. He mentions miracles, healings, tongues, helps or helpful deeds appear only here in the New Testament. Paul uses it for helping the weak. And he uses the idea of administrations here at the end of chapter 12. Acts of guidance, it's used for piloting a ship. David Garland says it speaks of setting direction, guiding a community, not just employing administrative skills. It could speak to church strategy so that it helps head the church in the right direction if you have this gift of administration. Once again, he says, tongues is listed last, probably not because it is the least of all gifts, but because it is the problem in the Corinthian church that's bringing division. If you look at the end of uh, chapter 12, Paul says, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and he's going to talk about prophecy being the greatest, and I show you still a more excellent way. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, if the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts, how do I desire gifts that he administrates sovereignly by his will? Well, this is where sovereignty, the sovereignty of God and free will come in. I believe you can desire the gifts. It doesn't say here to pray for gifts, although I don't see anything out of bounds about that. But ultimately, here's what I would ask you. Do you desire spiritual gifts? Is your passion 
to say to the Lord, Lord, if you're calling me into this area, then please gift me for that. I believe the Lord will, but is that your desire? Have you ever said to the Lord, Lord, I desire every spiritual gift that you want to give me that will bring you glory and help me to accomplish your will. Please grant me those gifts. I desire them. Now, God is still sovereign and he'll decide what gifts you get, but I do think that the Lord honors zealousness. Amen? Keep knocking at the door. I want this gift. I want to be more effective in evangelism, Lord. Give me boldness. I believe that the Lord will hear and honor the prayers according to his will. But remember, the end of chapter 12 says we have to be shown the more excellent way, and the more excellent way is the way of love. And so I, I sat back at some moments this week. He says, I will show you still a more excellent way, and I, my prayer became, Lord, show me how to love. In a previous study, uh, I shared with you that I was talking about prayer, and I just felt myself having to pause and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. Well, now I'm saying, Lord, teach me how to love. Because I can think I'm doing well. I can check some boxes. I can measure things the way I think or perceive myself in a certain way. But, but the real measure is not my own self-assessment. It's how God sees me. And I need to be shown the way of love and for many of you, you grew up in situations where nobody even said they loved you. <laughs> you know, they'd tap you on the shoulder like, yeah, 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 yeah. You'd tap you on the head. Some of you grew up in environments where I love you was not repeated, not spoken. And some of you may even think this morning that it's given away too flippantly by some people. I love you. What does that really mean? And some of you are a little gun-shy because someone expressed love to you and then they pulled it back. And you feel like the rug got pulled out from under you. Christianity is not about possessing certain grace gifts. It's about a way of life. Paul is talking about love. If you get nothing else from this message, please write this down. Paul is saying that love is a way of life. And love is often, biblical love is often contra my way. It's often the, not the way that I'm bent to go. But love is to be my way. And I'm, I have to be shown the way of love. Jesus says in John 15, 12, and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. John 15, 12, and 13. Greater love, agapeo, has no one than this, that one do what? Lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus goes on to say, and you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Don't sit there and tell me you love me, and then don't do what I say. If you love me, then you will obey me. And so more and more, my love is measured by my obedience to Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful piece of literature, but it is a lifestyle. It is the ultimate corrective. This is how we know what love is. We look no further than the cross where God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's when God expressed his love on the cross, put it on display literally, 
is when you were a sinner, an enemy of God. And oftentimes we only give love when we feel someone's worthy of it. That is not biblical love. And that's why Christianity is so different from the world. And that's why it's so hard. Because God is calling you to love those who are hard to love. And you may be sitting next to them right now. Go ahead, just softly. No, don't do it. But here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is sometimes the hardest person to love is the person I spend every day with. Because it's in tight quarters and it's, and it's every day and it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, bad hair days, drool stuck to the side of the mouth, things on the face. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I don't always get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, in the way that I think it should be expressed. Now what do I do? Do I turn my cold shoulder? No. Or do I love despite that? Does love, does the love of God come your way when you're doing great? Does God love you conditionally like that? Does he say, I'll love you, but here's the strings? No. This is what we celebrate. I was reading about a child's view of love, and some children were asked, what is love? One little girl answered, love is when your mommy reads you a bedtime story. True love is when she doesn't skip any of the pages. <laughs> love is not an idea for Paul. It's not even a motivating factor for behavior. It is behavior. To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. When you love in this way, I'm sure you've probably noticed, love eventually finds its way back to you, though. And we don't love this way just to get something back, right? Oh, if I do this for her, then, then she'll do this for me. That shouldn't be your motive, because then that's selfishness anyway. However... If you love the way you're supposed to love, it inevitably comes back to you. A heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by other, others. And you can name the movie The Wizard of Oz. And so, as Pastor Michael realizes that we're already well close to our time to finish, <laughs> let me just touch on verse 1. Paul, using a conditional clause, says, if I, I want you to notice the I there. You may have skipped over it in the past. If I probably is autobiographical. Here's what I mean. I mean the I here is probably Paul. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Now remember, the gift of tongues was the biggest problem in the Corinthian congregation. If I speak with the tongues, glossa, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, as we've mentioned, of men and of angels. Let's say that I could speak a heavenly language, but do not have love. What have I become? I become a noisy gong, echo in Greek. It's to make a loud noise, a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal. Now, I grew up playing the drums. I appreciate drummers. But if a drummer is just hitting a cymbal, 
at some point, you're like, stop! That's what my grandmother used to do when I had a drum set in the upstairs bedroom. She'd say, Michael, what's with all the noise upstairs? And I'd say, I'm playing the drums. You're not a playing the drums. All I hear is the ba-boom, the ba-boom, the ba-boom. Play something. And I said, I am, Grandma. <laughs> and Grandma was quoting 1 Corinthians 13.1. It's a whole lot of noise. That's all it is. He begins with the gift that they most eleva- elevated in the Corinthian congregation. Paul is not devaluing the gift. He speaks in tongues more than all of them. He has the gift. We'll see this in chapter 14. But Paul says, if I have the gift of language or tongues, and I do it just to dazzle for a show, it becomes a hollow performance. The Corinthians were captivated with oratory skills and eloquence. One who could speak well, they said of Paul. He's not too impressive. He's a short little guy. He doesn't use impressive flowery speech. His vocabulary seems to be limited. How could we be impressed with him? Paul says, look, I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I have not love, I'm just a whole lot of noise. Some of you heard this story, but... There was a dinner party, and uh, they had asked a famous actor who was in the musical theater and so forth to read Psalm 23, and he went up to the podium, and he read it with beauty, and his inflection was, was awesome, and his tone, and his emphasis, and his pregnant pauses, and oh, it was, it was breathtaking, Psalm 23. Then they asked an old pastor who was in the room to also read the psalm a little bit later pastor went up, body was hurting, his voice from many years of preaching was crackly and he went up there and he read Psalm 23 and then you could have heard a pin drop. He walked back to his seat, someone commented and I think it was the actor who had first read it, he said, I read the psalm, he knows the shepherd. And that's the difference between eloquence and power. You cannot fake love. It's either there or it's not. But it can be fanned into flame again. It can be renewed. You can return to your first love. You can repent of being cold. You can decide today that you're going to love. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for you. But I'm saying it is the way of God. It's the way of agape. It's what drives Paul, and that love is what drove Jesus to the cross. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down for his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. I want to be an instrument of your love, Lord. I don't want to be just a clanging symbol or a bunch of clangers. I don't want people to walk into the church and say they they. It's a lot of talk, but there's no love. No, let us show people your love. Now we're about to take communion, and the greatest expression of that love was put on display at the cross where Jesus laid down his life for you and for me because he so loved you. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that Jesus loved me and delivered himself up for me. Every time we come to the table of communion, we're remembering the greatest expression of love. And I pray that as you take the elements this morning, if you're a believer, we invite you to partake. 
that that love would fill you again. That your love would be renewed, not only not just for God, as important as that is, but for those around you as well. Ushers, if you'd come and uh, let's start handing out the elements. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to become one right now. Embrace that love. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me so much and dying for me. As the elements go around, would you hold them? We're going to take them together. And you can continue to um, focus on that as I pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for this beautiful text. We have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn, Lord, about love. Teach us how to love. Show us the more excellent way. Show us what true love looks like. We know that when we look at the cross, we, we can see it there. A sacrificial love. A love that dies despite what it's getting back. It's the love of Christ, and when Christ is in the center of the body of Christ, well, there's nothing like it. When Christ is in the center of a marriage, nothing like it. When Christ is in the center of a friendship, a business, a church, there is no substitute. And when it is happening, it's so beautiful. Would you renew and refresh love in this room, Lord? And as we take these elements, may you refresh our hearts. In your love, I pray that in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen.